Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca. Welcome back to our next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, my guest is Romes Auer. Romes is the CEO of First Horizons Advisors, and that's the wealth management division of First Horizons Bank. He has over 40 years of experience in the financial services industry and more than 33 years with First Horizon. He served in a wide uh, range of different roles across retail, commercial banking, management, strategic planning, wealth management, and even private clients. Rome's grew up in Memphis, and he's a graduate of University of Memphis and the Mid-South School of Banking and the Southwestern Graduate School of Banking at SMU. He's a member of the Teach for America board and is also on the advisory board at Fogelman College of Memphis and Economics. In addition, Rome serves on the board at the Bank Insurance and Securities Association known as BISA. Rome's and his wife, Tina, have two sons, Paul and Andrew, and a daughter, Megan. So with that, Romes, let's jump right in. After people hear what I've just said, if you're at a particular location at a meeting or something and someone says, I, I see you're with First Horizons Bank, uh, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Uh, Mark, thanks for the opportunity. When people ask what I do, um, typically the answer is, uh, my role at the company is to make this a great place to work for our advisors. So our advisors help people um, uh, reach their goals, their financial goals, um, help them with everything from planning to investing, uh, to insuring, uh, their, their assets. And my job is to make sure that, uh, they've got the tools to be successful. They've got, we've got a culture that makes them aspire to achieve their goals. And, uh, and so we call this, uh, I have on my LinkedIn account, uh, first horizon advisors, a great place for advisors to work. So I think if, uh, you know, the, the chain of, and, uh, satisfied or happy employees are going to lead to happy customers. And that leads to client retention, cross-sell and referrals. So that's, uh, that's the best way I can put it. I love that, Romes. And I, I particularly love how competitive your team is in this fiercely competitive world of wealth management, whether private wealth or, or sort of the mass affluent wealth space. The fact that culture is a differentiator and attracting the, the best people to want to work on your team and, and being mindful as the CEO that that's your job is to create that kind of environment. I, I just love hearing that. It's, uh, it's really quite refreshing. So as you know, the, the spirit of this podcast is all about the ability to adapt. So I'm curious if you have a, a particular personal pivot point or a moment of learning that helped change your approach to your role as CEO. Uh, well, yeah, let me think about that. Yeah, the, 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 I guess as we think about the industry um, and you look at our history, uh, First Horizon uh, at the time, First Tennessee in 1999, um, as I came into wealth management, my boss had run wealth management and uh, was subsequently now president of the bank. And he had a vision that uh, the future of our business was financial planning. This was back in 1999. 
And he set out to, and at the time you think about how many CFPs were, there were in the industry. I think there were uh, in Tennessee where we uh, reside, there were probably four CFPs in all of, uh, all of Tennessee, I think, something like that. And he decided that we needed 30 CFPs to cover our footprint. So we embarked on a journey to get, uh, uh, we called it fast track and we got some of our bankers and some others and we put them through a one year uh, fast track program and, and got them into CFPs, uh, got their CFP designations and we embarked on financial planning. And the way we did financial planning back then, uh, it was objective, uh, uh, complimentary and customized, we still do today. And, and for him to have that vision uh, it really ta taught me that, you know, you've got to be always forward thinking and you've always got to look out for the next step. So in 2008, um, when banks, the, the managed money um, uh, process really got um, uh, started picking up in banks, we had a, a team meeting and we said, look, we we've now have financial planning. Uh, the next step is how do we build a managed money platform for our bank? And our team all bought in. This would have been uh, 2007, 2008, and said, "Yeah, that's the direction we're going in." So we had to convince our advisors that, you know, the 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 commission business is still important, but that's not where the future was is. And that embracing planning and embracing managed money um, is where we were, so we, we, where we had to, to to head towards. And at that point, we hired a CIO, and off we went. And now we are where we are today. And I think if you look at the statistics, our our managed money program for uh, and benchmarking is, is pretty st substantial. And our advisors are, are saying, thank God we did that because it completely changed the way they run their practice. Now they're advisory, now they're thinking about their customers long-term. They're not looking for that next sale, next sale, next sale that used to be our industry. You know, Rums, for those listeners who are outside the wealth management industry, just to thread that need a little bit more, uh, what Rome's was talking about back in, in 1999, it wasn't uncommon. First of all, most banks didn't have any kind of financial program. Many of them didn't. And those that did, you'd go in and it was pretty much, if you had a bank CD that was paying a certain interest rate, they might have a, a product and insurance company called an annuity that they could offer you. And, and in that case, some commission revenue was generated. And, and what was switching, the, the vision that Rome's is talking about is the ability to realize that model wasn't going to be the future and rather the model of really helping people manage both by having a financial plan and having their money managed where they pay a management fee and clearly uh, over the last 20 years that vision has played out and it's it's really cool for me because that connects back to what you said in your first answer around culture you you whether you started it this way or not my suspicion is you've helped create a better life for so many of your advisors because being a financial advisor who has some annuitized business that comes in every year versus starting from scratch is a completely different environment to work in. Yeah, I, I think that's very well said. And, um, and, and we've seen that transformation. And now when we recruit and bring people into our company and we always tell the recruit, look, you need to talk to two or three of our advisors before you make a decision just to make sure that uh, that you really, we don't want anybody coming here and get surprised, right? You, you're your second day and you're, you say, well, I didn't know you did it that way. So our advisors are our best recruiters now because of, of, of the way we do business. That's, that's great. So let me back up a little bit, Rome's. I know that you, your father was a doctor and, um, and so you grew up in, in, this, in this mindset of service with his role um, at, at a hospital, St. Jude, that so many people know right there in Memphis. 
Um, how do you go from that environment to getting into the financial services business? Uh, yeah, my, uh, my, my father was a, 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 a great role model. He was very humble and really, um, you know, when, back when he first came to St. Jude and basically every patient that he saw passed away. Uh, there was, leukemia was um, uh, a killer. There was no treatment for it. And he spent most of his life figuring out how to help put leukemia into submission and, and allow people to live normal lives. So when you have somebody like that in your living with somebody like that, with that kind of stress, and then for him to come home and interact with him, he was my so first soccer coach. And I can tell you all kinds of stories about that. But just to have that kind of role model and see the service that he provided to his patients, to run into his patients today, uh, now that uh, survived, uh, and they tell me, "Hey, I know your, I know your dad, and he saved my life." I mean, that's service at the highest yeah, level. Sure, it certainly is. Yeah. yeah. So when when uh, I got into the, the the business, and you think about the role of banks and the role of financial services companies, it's to serve your communities. And um, I took what he I learned from him, and try to uh, live like that every day. And uh, and, and you think about the uh, reputation that banks have, you know, oh, Wall Street, Wall Street, Wall Street. That's not us. I mean, we're in the communities. We're helping our clients. We're, uh, we're trying to figure out how to be better citizens. And so my dad was a, was a great asp aspiration from that perspective. So one of the things I've noticed, Roms, in our conversations is that um, in order to thrive in an environment like you've been in over 33 years, there's this framework of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And, and it's very clear to me, you have to have a growth mindset to keep pivoting when these opportunities keep presenting themselves. So how did you develop the mindset when you were first at the bank working as an employee to be able to continue to pivot ultimately to being CEO? Uh, that's a great question. And there's so many things that come to mind. Uh, the thing about business and developing strategy the important thing is um, that to keep in mind that any organizations that that's not growing is not thriving. However, you've got to grow uh, judiciously. It can't be growth for growth sakes. I had the same gentleman I referred to earlier that was my boss that led the financial planning uh, effort at, at uh, Vision for us. Also told me one time, he said, you know, uh, you got to keep in mind that there's not one dollar of revenue that's worth stretching for, if it's going to sacrifice um, the the compliance or the the culture of the company. However, you still have to grow, but it's got to be the right kind of growth, and it's got to be um, well rounded. All the stakeholders have to benefit from the growth, right? Because I mean, there um, a good example, I guess, is uh, we can go out and grow loans um, faster than the market. It, uh, and some banks have done that in the past and banking has done that in the past. It, and that goes back to the 08 mortgage crisis, right? right. You can lower rates and you can um, uh, change your credit standards and you can make loan. You can grow loans like crazy. And at some point though, you pay for it when <laughs> they, the, the, the economy turns and, and things go bad and the profitabilities hurt. So that analogy you can use for everything in business. So uh, what we've learned is we've always got to be looking at what's our next business that's going to be the $10 million revenue um, business for us. We've got a couple that we're working on now, but at the same time, part of strategy is what are you doing that you need to stop mm. um, as, and um, you know, as, as I said in business and I can't remember who actually is credited with the quote is 
uh, uh, part of strategy is what not to do. Yes. So, yeah. So we're constantly thinking about, okay, what's our next growth strategy? What's driving the growth today? Let's nurture what's growing today. Let's figure out what our future growth strategies are and let's stop doing what's not working. And that's hard for a company. And, you know, our management team um, has been together. We've been together 15 years and sometimes you get set in your ways and you've got it, you get blind spots and uh, I'm sure we've got them, but we've always got to be aware. And we talk about it. What's our blind spot? Where, where are we um, playing that we don't need to be playing and, and stop that. And then sometimes it's hard to communicate that, you know, advisors, as you said, are competitive. And sometimes there's something that they're doing that they think is working. And we look and they say, now, you know, it's not really working. It's not profitable. And we've got to stop that. So it's a constant, what's going to be the next growth um, engine? What's growing now that you need to nurture and what do you need to stop doing? What caused you to be able to say, I get it. Like we need to make this move and be ahead of the curve. Yeah. Uh, to, to the point you're making uh, this business, financial services, banking, wealth management is oversupplied. There are more banks, there are more financial services companies than probably the demand. So everybody's fighting like crazy for good customers, good clients. And um, it's no longer our way or the highway because clients have options sure. and they have lots of options. And so um, the, you know, and it, all the research, and you know, this is that people will pay for what they want. Right. And um, the client experience is what it's all about. So if you're not providing the client experience that your clients want and desire and you're not constantly researching what is the net, the future of client experience. And that goes back to the culture thing is that, you know, if your employees are happy and they're motivated and they're dedicated, they're going to provide a great client experience. And my, our job is to provide them the tools to do that. And if you're not giving them the tools, WebEx. Uh, DocuSign, go on and on, then you're not going to be successful. And you know what? The clients and the advisors will vote with their feet. So true. So true. So that's a perfect segue to my question for you in, a, in terms of what you've experienced and what you've learned as a leader since the start of the pandemic. If you think about kind of we're, we're going to write the story maybe two or three years from now and someone said to you, you know, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from this pandemic? realizing it's not over yet, but we're, we're certainly through a big part of it. What would you say? So it was about this time last year, right? It was. Uh, within days, actually, yeah. right? That, yes, uh, March 8th, uh, I think, was the day. Yeah, we had, we had actually just returned. We were at BISA. We were, yeah, I, we were there together at BISA, yes, March yes. 3rd, 3rd and 4th, and, right? And, and we started hearing uh, rumblings about this. And I remember that some of the um, uh, participants, their, their, their uh, firms called them and said, get home. Right, yeah. uh, as quickly. And some as you said can. you have to stay in your room. Remember that? No, uh, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so um, I got. We get back, and all of a sudden, uh, we're told, um, "Don't come to the office. Figure out how to work from home. All that." And you had to do it in a matter of days, right? Right. And our management team, and uh, uh, I give great credit to a number of the folks that that um, you know attitudes. A lot of it. You can always say, "Oh no, uh, woe is me," and we can't do this. And employees are going to panic, right? because they had to go home. They, they had no computers at, or screens at home, no computer screens, no nothing. So you had to do that in a matter of days. And, uh, and it wasn't just us, the whole industry had to, had to do it. So um, going through that, what I learned is that people um, uh, can, when there's a crisis, people will change. Um, I've had people tell, tell me all the time, you want something to change? Start a crisis. 
And certainly the, the crisis came and all of a sudden, all the technology that we had put in place, our advisors started learning how to use it. The ones that were not tech savvy, all this, um, were calling saying, teach me how to use WebEx. Because yep. I've got to get in touch with my clients. And at that time, I remember we had some um, roundtable calls with a number of folks that have uh, in my same position. And the question was, should we reduce all our goals? Should we change all the comp plans? Should we make all these changes? Because we thought basically we were not going to be able to service our clients. Right. And some firms took that approach, which is fine. And some firms said, you know what, let's wait and see what happens. Yeah. And let's see. And, and sure enough, employees embraced the change. Uh, uh, our clients understood, uh, you know, all the branch branches were closed. They couldn't go to the branches to, to do business. Um, and, uh, and so all those things were happening and people adapted. So I guess the, the big lesson is there is again, when there's a crisis, folks will be more apt to change and, uh, you can't panic in leadership, right? You've got to sort of, um, um, lead the way, have a vision, and our team was able to do that, I think, um, and as many in the industry. You think about the industry and, and, and the growth that we experienced last year was was pretty substantial in, in a time where unprecedented. So, Well, that reminds me of the quote. I think it was Carl Rove uh, or one of the political operatives. He said, you know, um, never let a good crisis go to waste. You know, yes. to your point, uh, while, while there was certainly, you know, so much that was dark and negative about what happened, I think from a business standpoint, the, you know, obviously the, the huge surprise for all of us was not only did the bank survive, but the bank thrived. And in fact, many advisors have now broken through to a whole new mindset to realize many, and I consider myself in this group, uh, customers and clients don't want to meet with their wealth advisor in person four times a year. A, a, a paradigm was established that said, this is what we should do four times a year. And, and it wasn't really established with the customer experience in mind, which is, what do you want to do? And, and I can tell you that just, just that piece of realizing that I, I don't want to get rid of my financial advisors, don't necessarily have to see them in person four times a year, as one example. So that's a, that's a setup for, based on what you've seen, what's changed in terms of the skill set as you think about bringing new advisors on now? What do they need in order to thrive and take advantage of the uh, expanded scale that virtual selling offers? Uh, man, that's a great question. And it's interesting. There are uh, a lot of things come to mind when you, when you ask that question. And this is uh, not anything I can take credit for, for but I firmly believe that, uh, you know, if you look at research in our industry, the future advisor uh, needs to be a, a life coach. It's almost like you need to hire psychology and sociology majors uh, to uh, be advisors as much as you need people with financial acumen. Yep. And um, because advise, the, advi the, the advisor of the future is going to be talking about health, is going to be talking about, you know, um, family matters is, as much as investment management. Uh, and so um, as you look at, um, and then also um, being able to communicate virtually versus face-to-face -face is, is different, right? It's face-to-face, uh, -face, you, uh, you can meet for an hour, you can meet for two hours and, and keep people's attention. Virtually, um, it's got to be 15 minutes, it's got to be 20 minutes, get your message across and let's move on. So um, the skill set there is totally different. Uh, you still need to be able to build um, uh, a connectivity with your clients, but you've got to do it a lot quicker 
and you've got to get to the point quicker and you've got to be able to deliver a message. So that's a whole different skill set. And then it got, along with the psychology and associate sociological aspects of our business now, that's a different animal altogether. I just talked with a young person. Uh, she's 22 years old. She's a, a nurse, just finishing nursing school and she's going uh, for her first job. And she told me just this past week, she did all three interviews by video. And what's interesting, the first one was a Zoom call and that was the first cut. And the second was they asked her a question about the five values in the Duke culture. And she had three minutes to describe how her life experiences relates to those five things. And she could do it two times. So she did the first take and then she thought it was pretty good. And she did it again, she did the second take. She's got the job. And the whole process was virtual, both video, you know, asynchronous video, and then later asynchronous video. So this, this piece of having that in the criteria, I think is a really important thing for people to realize, not just for financial advisors and in financial services, but really across all businesses. This is a skill set that is going to be more and more valuable in the future. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, there's so many aspects. You know, you talk about young people going in a little bit of a different direction. I talk to young people quite a bit, um, being involved with the University of Memphis, and uh, I'll go to events and, and we'll talk about uh, what do you do? And I tell them and they say, well, I never want to do that. And I ask them, you know, why? Uh, well, I don't want to get on the phone and try to sell somebody something. And the, that's the perception of our business. And that's not our business. So I tell them, so my response is, okay, so pretend that um, your job is to uh, talk to people and help them achieve their financial goals. And you coach them through that. And, and then all of a sudden it's a different spin and they say, yeah, I'd love to do that, but that's not where our industry is. So you've got to have that kind of skill set, and also what you're talking about, which is deliver the message and now do it virtually as well. Um, it's a, it's a different world for sure. And uh, different skill sets needed to be successful. Well, the truth is it's such a great business in so many ways. And you're absolutely right. There, there's that perception which look, the perception isn't completely wrong. When people watched the movie Wall Street or they watched Wolf on Wall Street, like they, they saw kind of that, that snapshot in time and it's easy to form an impression from it. But as, as is the case in most things in life, that's not necessarily accurate in terms of the broader industry. And so yes. this, this life coach metaphor, I mean, I, I absolutely can see that broadening the kinds of people and the diversity of people who want to participate in this business when, when they can think of it that way versus, you know, being Leonardo DiCaprio on the phone, punching some penny stock. That's <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so let's talk about just in terms of, you know, you talked about culture. How about this idea of building a sense of community? How have you done that during the pandemic as the CEO? Well, um, I'll give you just sort of a, an example that, uh, um, that of one of the things that we did and it's, you know, sort of a little mushy thing. Um, we asked um, everybody, when this first started, everybody went home, right? So everybody's working from home, people have kids, people have whatever. So we asked uh, all of our employees to take a picture of their at work, at home environment and mm -hmm. send it in to us. Mm -hmm. So um, everybody did that. And uh, some of them had their dogs in the picture, some had their kids, some, had, I mean, we got all kinds of stuff. So then we had a, uh, a meeting, a WebEx meeting and everybody joined. And we went through the pictures and people talked about where they work, how they work and, you know, how they're, how they're, uh, 
um, achieving what they want to achieve and, uh, and how they're getting their jobs done. And it was, you know, it was uh, maybe cheesy, but folks got to, you could see the smiles on people's faces because we had not been connecting. And at the end of it, people were saying, man, I can't wait to get back because uh, a lot of times here we'll, we'll do stuff like uh, on Fridays, have blue jean days and bring in barbecue or chicken, uh, Gus's fried chicken or whatever. Uh-huh. And people miss that. And, and when we were talking about um, uh, everybody's individual workstations at home, um, uh, they were smiling and saying, I, I wish we could get back to that. And I look forward to the first time that uh, Frank Davis, who's our trust head of trust, makes homemade ice cream and that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff you can't do virtually, right? That people, uh, one of the reasons people come to work, it's their friends and uh, haven't been able to do that. That's that's one example. Another example is we have a call uh, every other week and it's an official call that the bank requires where we talk about business continuity and the issues that, that we're dealing with. But that call now, uh, since we've been doing this for so long, the first 10 minutes is people BS, making fun of each other, yeah. uh, asking questions and now talking about where, where, you know, some people are starting to take trips and where have you been and all that kind of stuff. And where do you want to go when all this is said and done? So, I mean, it's just that kind of stuff that uh, um, some would call cheesy, but it helps people reconnect. Well, you know, it's, it, I, I think of it like this, uh, it's almost like manners in in the in the world of human beings interacting. Like it, it's it seems like it's a very simple and obvious thing, but when you don't have them, it changes the nature of your interaction with people. And and even some of the stuff that some people might think of as cheesy, the, the fact is there's these invisible bonds between people. And it's one thing when you know each other and you you kind of um, join that type of Zoom call. But as you're describing that, I'm thinking about our experience at Allego where we, we've onboarded like 25 people since March. And so a lot of them, they've never been to our office. They've, they've only met people virtually. And we did a lot of the same kinds of things. And, you know, one of the neat things about the idea you just shared um, is that people take for granted in the virtual realm, in many cases, uh, other than when they have a, a virtual background, um, you're, you're literally invited into their house. So you're seeing things that you might've worked with someone for 20 years and you've never been to their house. And now you see a piano or a guitar or a golf club or a picture of their children or their dog or whatever the case might be. And there is this, this window really into getting to know somebody in a way that's very different than, than many of us have gotten to know each other in a traditional work environment. So, you know, there's, there's sort of a deeper, deeper dynamic going on there in that, that little idea. Um, so, so let me pivot over, Holmes, to this idea of, uh, in the spirit of continuing to help your advisors have this, this environment where they want to work, um, what's your perspective on the value of centrally created content um, versus subject matter expert content from the field? And what I mean by that is in, in many banks, there's sort of traditional um, content that comes down, for example, from HR or, or from marketing versus content from other advisors for benefit of advisors. What, what's your take on kind of the interrelationship and, and how those are working going forward? Well, that's a great question. And, and uh, the important thing there, it's not my perspective, it's our advisor's perspective. So um, two, the, the best way to answer that question is two years ago, in order to continue to drive our culture, uh, we made a decision as a leadership team to start an advisor council. We had done something um, like that before where we would bring in our top advisors and talk to them about stuff, but we formalized it. 
So we asked one of our uh, longtime top advisors if he would chair the council and he accepted. Um, and he basically, we had people, uh, we, we uh, demonstrated the vision or uh, communicated the vision of what we wanted to do. And the vision was basically for them to drive enhancement to our culture. Um, and, uh, and, and so he basically, uh, they, we, we took nominations, he formed the council and we embarked on looking at our culture. So um, I was told by some folks, be careful what you wish for, because they're gonna come back and tell you they need a different comp plan. They're gonna tell you they need everything that they need and everything that's broken. Right. So um, I've been, go uh, the very first meeting, I still remember it, that there were probably eight of us sitting around a table and it was not like that at all. They basically started talking about how do we make this an even better place to work? How do we make this a more productive firm and what they decided is that in order to be an advisor at First Horizon, you needed to have a certain level of skill set. And we wanted a common uh, holistic customer experience across our entire company. Right. They didn't think it was appropriate for a client to walk into Chattanooga, Tennessee and not be offered or discuss life insurance or to walk into Nashville and not discuss um, their financial plan or estate plan or retirement, whatever. So they wanted to drive more holistic consistency in our program. And so they decided that the best way to do that is for the advisors to teach each other. And so they challenged um, our senior advisors to, to become more, take of a more of a teacher mindset and give back to the firm by teaching uh, more than they had before. And they all said, yeah, we'll be glad to do that. And they challenged our younger advisors to be better uh, students and really uh, embrace what could be taught. So you put those two together and then um, uh, we were looking for a tool to uh, help deliver that. And that's where you and I got to know each other and they decided that we needed uh, a Lego to come in. And now that's our primary source of uh, training and education is advisors listening to each other about best practices. And um, we've rolled that out. Now we've merged with Iberia Bank and we're introducing that concept to their advisors as well. So have a whole library of onboarding techniques and tactics that you can use to grow and enhance your practice. So there's, there's something about the power of a, of a person who can demonstrate that I can do this myself and I'm going to share it with you versus the old model of training, which was very often people put in a role to try to teach uh, advisors, here's how you should do it, but they haven't done it themselves. Yeah, yeah, that, that's very well put. And, and to add to that, now, uh, when you go hit a golf ball and you can video yourself and see where your elbow is, our advisors are also doing that, right? So they're, uh, they'll get together and they'll role play a, a situation. They'll, they'll videotape it and they can use that or they'll, they'll use the, the uh, Lego system. Videotape. Uh, they'll use the Lego system to record it and then they can go back and, and uh, uh, do play-by-play -play analysis, just like professional football and basketball and other teams do. And uh, there's nothing like, a you know, the old saying a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, when you see your elbow sticking out like that over and over, you finally figure it out. Yeah, yeah I've got to right. fix that. <laughs> and by the way, the camera doesn't lie. Like I can't right. say, no, I'm not doing that. No, actually I am doing it, right? And yeah. I, I will tell you, Romes, just as a, as a special shout out that one of the things we've learned as we look across wealth management and asset management is the criticality of having a person who cares about what you just said and I know in, in your case, a, a person in the role that, that uh, Justin Barden has at your bank who actually cares 
and really is interested in under your direction, what the advisors, what's important to them, and then finding ways to connect with the things that are important to them. That person, kind of like you said, this the, the life coach, we call it sales enablement, and, and it's not as common in financial services as it is in other industries, but the notion that there's a person whose job is to help enable you with the tools and technology, and that doesn't just mean buying the technology, it means helping you learn how to use it and frankly, what's in it for you, whether it's e-signature or, or uploading to a, a you know, file server, whatever the case might be. So I, I think recognizing as you grow, having the right people in those kinds of positions, it also leads back to the culture of an environment where the people on the council realize their time is well spent because they're, they're telling you the truth and you've got a mechanism to help address their concerns. Yeah, that was that was a very important step for us because um, I had to keep reminding the council that they're a council and um, they have they they jobs because they wanted to fix things. And, and we said, look, you guys are council. You guys figure out what the vision is for our training program or for practice management. And then we've got to make we've got to give it legs. And you, the only way to give it legs is you've got to have somebody waking up every day thinking about how do you drive practice management at uh, First Horizon Advisors. And Justin was a great fit for that and is doing a great job for us. And I and we need to do that to support the council because if not, then the council would have basically, you know, like you said, we would have had the, the software and it, it would have been out there, but nobody every day waking up because the advisors can't do that. They, sure. they, they've got their own jobs. So um, I think it was a win-win for everybody because uh, it, it gave jo Justin an opportunity that uh, he's really thriving. It gave the advisory council credibility with the rest of the group because, hey, not only did we get the software, we've got somebody dedicated to making sure that our practice management program goes to the next level. And it helps uh, me because, again, it drives our culture. It helps us with recruiting. It helps us with retention. And so uh, it worked out well for everybody. Well, that leads me to my last question, Roms. Based on your experience, what do you see as the most important skill that you think people need to learn or improve today? Boy, that's a great question. I think, you know, um, and this fits well with uh, the current uh, generation of uh, uh, Gen Y, Gen Z. Uh, they are taught as they grow up, uh, and us as baby, me as a baby, we sometimes make fun of them, you know, we give them participation trophies. They, they love to, to, to work together and work in teams and um, they do things in teams, they date in teams, they do everything in teams. Right. Um, and I think our industry is about that today. If you look at our model and our model is not different than anybody else. And I'm talking our, our, uh, not just wealth management, our entire model. If you're a, a client of ours and I work in the private banking wealth space, so we're talking about affluent clients, but it works for everybody to be, for us to, to gain that client's trust, you've got to have a team of experts right? It's hard to have a generalist that knows everything about a client's financial needs. You need the, you need the banker, you need the planner, you need the, the state planning trust officer, you need the financial advice, you need everybody working together. And in the old days, you think about the old days of the stockbroker, that was a one person sitting in the corner mm -hmm. um, doing their thing and making big money and going home at the end of the day with a big paycheck. That's not the world we live in today. The world we live in today is- guys, That was the lone wolf era. There you go, there you go. Uh, well said. So today it's, I've got to be able to work in a team. I've got to be able to understand the other teammates needs. And I got to understand how we service, we meet the client's value proposition. 
And I think that fit, uh, fits very well with the, the Gen X, the Gen Y and the Gen Z. Um, and, um, and so teamwork, I think is important. So what is teamwork? Listening, empathy, uh, working together, all the things that make up teamwork. So, so I think the word I would use is teamwork. And again, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's what they love. And we just got to do a better job in our industry of, of letting people know that's what this is about. Well, it's interesting as you're saying that the word that bubbles up for me and kind of as an overlay of teamwork is collaboration, right? Yes. And, and inherent in what you're describing is the mindset that, that helps all of us realize I cannot be good at everything. And generally in going back to your earlier example, if you walked into an office in Chattanooga and no one talked about life insurance, that's because that advisor wasn't comfortable talking about it, right? Exactly. And yes. so the, the idea of understanding that in this, in this consistent experience, whether it's in Memphis or whether it's in Chattanooga or anywhere else across the footprint of recognizing, look, there, there's a whole bunch of things that we talk about as part of the overall plan. I have expertise in some of them and my colleagues have expertise in others. And, and in this collaborative way, over time, you're gonna get to know these different people to make sure that we've covered the entire plan. And, and you know, even as you hear those words, if, if you think about a young person hearing this right now, who's thinking about the industry and they're realizing, you know what, idea of helping people and, and sort of being this life coach and working in a collaborative environment, that's a lot more compelling than that old vision of sitting at a desk in front of some terminal, right? Making cold calls. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think it all ties very well together and it, uh, uh, it's life satisfaction, right? You, you spend most of your life at work and it's got to be something you enjoy. And I think that the environment that financial services firms are creating, well, firms in general is um, uh, leads to that. So Rome, uh, let me leave you with this. If, if folks want to learn more about you in particular and First Horizon Advisors, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I, you know, we're all over social media. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, uh, we, um, are easy to reach. I'm glad to talk to anybody that's interested in our, uh, our business. I, I'm glad to share my contact information, uh, as is appropriate. So, um, uh, we like what we do and we like talking about it. So, um, I'm pretty, uh, uh, again, people can find me on LinkedIn. Very, very easy. Easily. You know, uh, Rums, I think, I think the spirit of, um, what your organization does really does come through in the way that you talk about it. There's a genuine affection. And I love that idea. Um, we, we call it um, success at work is fundamental to human happiness, right? And you're absolutely right. You're gonna spend at least a third of your life, maybe more than that at work. Why not choose a place in a free country to do something that gives you meaning, right? Um, so it, uh, the, the, the way you've just described it, it wouldn't be surprise, surprising to me that there's some people who are listening who have, um, children who are graduating from college who are thinking, that's a place that um, maybe I should have them check out. That's great. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been uh, uh, my pleasure for sure. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.